the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick and my co-host Larry Dershom and I, as always, have a very interesting program for you tonight. And Larry, I understand we have a very special guest with us tonight. Who do we have on the line? Yes, Wendy. Baya Unger Sargan is Newsweek's Deputy Opinion Editor. She was previously the Opinion Editor of Forward, America's leading Jewish news organization. She's contributed to the New York Times, the Washington Post, Foreign Policy, Newsweek, and the New York Review of Books Daily, among others. And she has just come out with a new book titled Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy, that we can't wait to find out about to discuss today. So welcome to the program, Baya. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. Oh, well, we're just thrilled to have you. You have such an interesting background. One of the things, though, that I was very curious about, uh, you talk about some of the, the great language that you've coined in your journalism. You talk about something that you term moral panic. I just love that. I would love to learn more about that. What is that all about? So uh, moral panic, what I mean by moral panic is, you know, I, I am a person who believes that, um, you know, we still have a ways to go in terms of really, truly ensuring that every American, regardless of skin color, has equality before the law and gets, you know, a, a, a great education and all of these things. However, the idea that America is an unre- unrepentant white supremacy is just clearly false. I mean, clearly the data does not back that up. And yet, across the liberal media, what you'll see is just the, you know, absolute insistence on this, on terms like white privilege and um, um, marginalization of people of color and the oppression of people of color. And to me, the sort of drumming up of um, an intense insistence that America is getting more and more racist as opposed to less and less, you know, this really smacks of moral panic of, you know, social contagion of people enforcing a view that has very little to do with reality, but um, in, imposing very high costs on people who, who don't follow suit and don't agree with them. Well, about, yeah, in your book, Bad News, you make the case that American journalism has undergone a status revolution over the 20th century from a blue-collar trade to an elite profession. As a result, journalists have shifted their focus away from the working class and towards the concerns of their affluent, highly educated peers. Could you explain to our listeners what you mean by that, how that shift happened and what it means? 
Absolutely. Um, so the argument that I make in my book, Bad News, is that what looks like a moral panic about race in America's leading liberal mainstream media is really about class. You know, we're used to thinking about the divide in America as being about politics, but really increasingly what we're seeing in America is a huge gulf dividing people with a college education from the two-thirds of Americans who don't have a college degree, who are working, working-class jobs, middle-class jobs, who work with their hands, who build the things that we need in order to live, who grow the food that we need in order to live. You know, these people who, who work in labor, um, and increasingly what we're seeing is that the economy is working very, very well for highly educated, overeducated liberal elites, and very poorly for the working class. And what's happened is that over the course of the 20th century, journalism went from being a blue-collar job, a kind of working-class job, to being a job that is essentially on a par with some of the other very elite jobs, you know, lawyers and doctors. And journalists now are in the top 10 percent. They are incredibly overeducated. Most of them have a graduate degree, even though you can't teach journalism. You can, you're supposed to pick it up as you do it. And as journalists became part of the American elite, and as they stopped living amongst the working class and stopped being working class themselves, they abandoned the working class and they now produce their journalism for other very overeducated elites just like themselves. And you really see this in the coverage that it's really created by and for and about other elites. And it's really appalling, you know, they and that's why there's this obsession with race, because, you know, journalists like other affluent liberals have really benefited from the economic inequality in America. And so they don't want to talk about it. So, But they still think that they're much more virtuous than Republicans, you know. So what they do is these progressives, they obsess over race as a way of not talking about the income inequality and the class divide that they have benefited from in a very literal economic way. You know, it sounds like those are some of the, the very legitimate concerns that we're seeing nowadays. And, you know, it just seems like, as you mentioned, this trajectory is just continuing. And I mean, looking in your crystal ball, or actually you'd probably say it's more deductive reasoning. What do you see as some of the dangers down the line if this dangerous journalistic shift of focus trend continues? Well, I think we're, we're living in the dystopia that was bred by it. So all of the COVID overreach, you know, that is a class story. That is a story about people who have white collar jobs, who work from home in their pajamas, you know, demonizing everybody who's not as rich as them <laughs> as moral perverts, right? Like that's, that's what that is. You know, the depths of despair, the outsourcing of 5 million amazing moral American perverts. Moral <laughs> Outsourcing 5 million working class jobs to China so China can build up its middle class. And now our working class is committing deaths of despair. I mean, I lay those deaths at a journalist's doorstep because they used to cover stuff like that. They used to cover the working class. And so politicians understood that you can't ship working class jobs overseas. The media is going to make a ruckus about it. And what they realized was first Democrats and, of course, then Republicans was that the, the media didn't care. 
They don't care about the working class. They don't care about downward mobility for working class Americans because they know that they're on the rise. And so we're, I think that we're, we're really living with a lot of the, you know, critical race theory in schools. And you turn on your TV and it's just a bunch of apologists saying, literally, you know, a TV host saying, well, why should a parent have the right to decide what their child is taught? I mean, it's like it's dystopian, Wendy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, bias, since so much of the mainstream media, the so-called fourth estate, seems to be serving the rich, elite, highly educated intelligentsia, in America, instead of focusing on just reporting the news in an unbiased fashion, how would you suggest we fix this problem? What I tell people is the industry is not going to write itself because they're making bank off of it. Like they've, they've hacked our emotions. That's, you know, what the New York Times has done. It's done the same thing Facebook has done. And, you know, there's, you know, tons of records to show this. My book is full of evidence of how the New York Times actually operates a lot like Facebook now. Um, which is why it's it's 91% of New York Times readers now are Democrats because it's lost the ability to speak to anybody who's not already convinced by their worldview. Um, so what I tell people is don't expect the industry to correct itself, but we as Americans can say no to this. We as Americans can say I'm not going to let somebody make a million dollars off of making me hate my fellow American. And I tell people go back to church, go back to synagogue, go volunteer. Go, go to places and institutions where you will meet people you disagree with and remember what it feels like to respectively disagree with because that's what it means to be an American. That's what it means to believe in democracy. And just say no to the elites who are – it's like they're not only trying to make us hate each other, but they're, they're robbing us blind while they do it. You know, they're up there consolidating power and wealth and acting like they have disagreements when they don't because, you know, they have over, you know, 60% of the GDP, right? So they're both robbing us blind and making us hate each other. And we can say no to that every single day. We can say, I refuse to hate my fellow American because they don't agree with me about which trimester abortion should be legal until, you know? You know, we're almost at the end of the show, but I would love just a quick soundbite from you on what advice you would give to just, you know, average citizens that want to be well-informed. Do they consume a range of different types of media outlets? Do they subscribe to podcasts? I mean, how does one actually remain neutral given all the information available? I have a really bad answer to that, Wendy, but I, because I, I tell people stop consuming so much news. Like it's all garbage. There's nothing they can tell you that you need to know that you can't get from walking down to your local bodega or like going to church or like there's just all the information they give us is false. It's all disproven the next day. Like there's so little out there that they could tell us that actually matters. So I just feel like we're all consuming too much news. And I, I know it's a funny thing for like an opinion editor at a mainstream publication to say, but <laughs> I would say like, you know, it's not, I, I mean, you know, just consume less of it. I think we've replaced spirituality and community and patriotism with knowledge and information and data and politics. I agree. You know, thank you for joining us. I'm going to sum that up as less is more. Your advice is less is more and go back to church. Amen to that. That's what Larry and I believe as well. Thank you very much for joining us. These are to our listeners. Stick with us. We have another half right after the break. You are listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick and we will be back in a flash.
News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. My co-host Larry Dersham and I are delighted to bring you some uh, very interesting news and commentary here in the second half of our show. Uh, One thing on our mind, and I know it's on the minds of many people that uh, follow such things, is the president gave uh, a press conference this week. And now why is that unusual? Well, it was the first one in 10 months. So it was unusual. It's almost an annual press conference. And I'm going to start by saying it was head and shoulders above the last press conference. I mean, the president was well rested, well caffeinated. Um, He was well spoken in his remarks at the beginning and also showed an amazing amount of stamina. He went for two hours. He fielded questions, not just from his famous list, but went off script, called on some conservative reporters and uh, with some interesting results. But I mean, God bless him. That's um, really showing some guts there. But one of the things that many people are talking about since then is, you know, how important it is um, and really how tough it is to be able to stand in front of the country and field questions like that. Uh, When he answered some of the ones that maybe he were coming and had answers prepared for. I mean, that's one thing. But he took some real hardballs. I almost feel like from both sides of the aisle, Larry, uh, when the questions first started coming, a lot of people thought, oh, gosh, you know, conservative, he's calling on all conservative media outlets. These are tough times. And he had to answer some tough questions. And, you know, what people are talking about now, some say, you know, you focus too much on the wrong border. There was too much talk about the Ukraine-Russia border and not enough about our southern border. Um, among other things like, you know, the solution to COVID is vaccinating the world. Inflation is due to supply chain issues. Um, I mean, he's got a tough job, let's face it. I always say the same thing about his press secretary, Jen Psaki, and about the vice president. But I mean, how did you think the presser went in terms of sort of a public relations announcement as, as is part of the reason that there are press conferences like this? I thought that he, he did a good job for that long period of time of two hours for sure. But he did uh, definitely make some mistakes. And um, Rand Paul had an interesting, Senator Rand Paul had an interesting take on that. He thought that it, in many cases at some points in that uh, two-hour time window that uh, President Biden was rambling and disjointed enough. So it was really hard for him to get a coherent message out. And I know one big problem was... It was kind of a muddled message about the Ukraine and the potential of Russia invasion, where he said it may not be too big of a deal if there's a Russian incursion. And they had to backpedal that after he made that statement, because basically uh, when you talk like that, you're making uh, you're giving signals to the whole world. And so according to Rand Paul, he said, so I think that it's a mistake for him to be out in front. It's dangerous to the country. And I think we're stuck with him in all likelihood until 2024. And I think it would be good for the country for him not to speak and not to appear in public. Now, I don't feel that strongly about it. I mean, I. I, Well, I'll tell you what. Go ahead. Yeah. 
Yeah, with I mean, people can be quoted saying all sorts of different things. I think what really was reflected in his remarks is when it was a topic he was comfortable with and he was confident talking about, he did a lot better. Remember his answer as to how does he think his vice president is doing and is she going to be his running mate? Remember his answer was yes and yes. Okay, he knew the answers to those questions. If he's not as familiar with foreign policy, hasn't thought it through, was unprepared for the question, less is more. That would be sort of a the, what his campaign strategist would tell him. And I think that was reflected not only in those Russia remarks, and but in some of the other remarks he made. I mean, when you're taking questions that you know the answers to and you're confident, um, you do well. He did well. But when he started venturing into territory he was less familiar with, I mean, that's when the wheels begin to come off the train. And that's exactly when we get into some of the verbal wandering. I mean, lots of people engage in that kind of behavior. It is tough to get out in front of the world and answer questions that you're not entirely confident that you can answer fully and completely. Right. You know, if you're the press secretary, you're able to say, let me circle back. Remember, Jen's always saying she's going to circle back, Jen Psaki. Right. But if you're the president, you're probably assumed to know more. So it's a tough job. Oh, yeah. And I thought it was interesting, too. I don't know if we want to get into this, the body language. And I did some research on body language. And tell me if you agree with this. I They say that 7% of our communication is in words. 38% is attributed to our tone of voice. And 55% of how we communicate is, is attributed to our body language. I was amazed at that. Is Is that sound true? Is that right? Yeah, they always touch those statistics um, have been around for years and it really just sort of reflects the reality that actions speak louder than words. We read emotion. We read so much more than the than the verbal words. And I think this press conference was probably an excellent example of that. I mean, think about how different Joe Biden's manner of speaking is to President Trump in both flash and substance. But here's the issue without charisma, we miss the content, not the fact checkers, as you mentioned, they caught the content right away. And the, the, as you mentioned, the White House had to backpedal. But in terms of charisma, you know, um, Joe Biden, President Biden wouldn't say that he's the most charismatic man in the room, but he might be one of the more empathetic characters in in the room. And that sells well. And it did him well when he was campaigning. Because empathy is very important in connecting with your audience and in bonding with your audience. And to that end, uh, he probably wishes he had reacted a little bit differently to a journalist that asked a question that he was uncomfortable with, that he disagreed with. Because part of being the president also means you're going to have detractors. Uh, he went into this press conference with some very low numbers. And, you know, the White House probably thought you know, we have nowhere to go but up and we're really going to emphasize some of our strong points because, you know, he wasn't having the best year so far. I mean, he didn't shut down the virus. He was having trouble passing his own legislation in his own party. He had his employer mandate shut down in court. I mean, there a lot has happened recently, not to mention the fact that you can't buy what you need at the grocery store. And Larry, I'm going to say those kitchen table issues are probably what matters most to most Americans, wouldn't you think? Uh, I would think so. Yeah, the kitchen table issues for sure. Uh, one thing, he didn't do it during the press conference, but uh, several times during his campaign, he referred to uh, President Kamala Harris, where he was the president. So he got that flipped around. That's pretty serious, I think. And also, he also mentioned during his campaign several <laughs> times that he's a proud Democrat running for Senate, and he was running for president. 
So, you know, this is an important job. And again, I have compassion for this guy. If you met him in person, I think I would really like him. But he's running the whole country. And I just hope he can I know. do the job. I think we'd like him. I think we'd both like him in person. And I think that it's, on the one hand, somewhat endearing to not be perfect because none of us None of us are. But on the other hand, I think you're correct. Even though it was two hours, we certainly do expect anybody that speaks for that long and is running the country to really know the answer to every question. Probably an impossible standard. But Larry, you've got some other things on your agenda today. Yeah, this is a story and I can't take uh, credit for writing it, but I found it on the Internet and there's no source attribution that I can thank people for. But it's called Wake Up America or How Do You Catch a Wild Pig? Are wild pigs. There was a chemistry professor in a large college that had some exchange students in the class. One day, while the class was in the lab, the professor noticed one young man, an exchange student, who kept rubbing his back and stretching as if his back hurt. The professor asked the young man, what's the matter? The student told him he had a bullet lodged in his back. He had been shot while fighting communists in his native country who were trying to overthrow his country's government and install a new communist regime. In the midst of the story, the student looked at the professor and asked a strange question. He asked, do you know how to catch wild pigs? The professor thought it was a joke and asked for the punchline. The young man said it wasn't a joke. You catch wild pigs by finding a suitable place in the woods, and then you put corn on the ground, and the pigs find and begin to eat the corn. It's free. And then when they're used to coming there, you put up a fence on one side of that field, and they are startled at first, but they come back and eat. And when they get used to that, you put up another side of the fence until finally they are all four sides of the fence are up and there's a gate in that last one and you leave it open and the pigs still come in and they eat the free corn and then the gate gets slammed shut and you have the whole herd. Suddenly the wild pigs have just their freedom. They run around and around the fence, but they're caught. Soon they are back eating the free corn. They're used to it by now and they've forgotten how to forage for themselves in the woods, so they accept their captivity. And according to this young man, that's exactly what we're seeing happening in America. The government is pushing us towards socialism, if not communism. They're giving us free things like health care, EBT cards, uh, agricultural subsidies, and on and on. And we're slowly losing our freedoms. So we should always remember there's no such thing as a free lunch, and you can never hire someone to provide a service for you cheaper than you can do it yourselves. So if you're uh, in favor of freedom, you might want to relate this story to others. If, if you like the, uh, the free stuff, you might forget this story. But just remember the problems we face that exist today are because um, the people who work for a living are now outnumbered by those who vote for a living. So wake up, America. That's my story. I see. Okay. So that, that's your that's your story for today. You know, um, if if we're getting free stuff, I, I hope it's something better than I can than I used to be able to buy at Walmart because they're all out of the items that I pay for there. So whatever you're getting, Amen. For free, you're right. Um, I don't, I, <laughs> right. I don't know if that would be a good substitute. But anyway, interesting stuff. It's amazing what you can find on the internet. Thank you for that, Larry, and thank you to our listeners. Thank you for joining us. We wish you a wonderful, safe weekend. 
please join us next Saturday for more of Today with Dr. Wendy, Headlines with a Silver Lining. Have a great week and God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.